I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Hey, Jay. Hey. What's happening, guys? Always something, a whole lot of nothing, you know, balancing the act. I feel like it's forever since I talked to you. Yeah, it has. You had an adventure. Dude, did I ever have an adventure. Man, it's been crazy. I'm going to actually go back here in September for my birthday because I didn't get to take any LSD or mushrooms. But I took MDMA. I I, kind of wanted to let that experience sit and and learn from it and kind of see where I was. So I'll be going for my birthday. I'm so excited. (laughs) Awesome. So what was the uh, the MDMA effect? Was it kind of like a a stimulant enhancer? I mean, did you get like any effects from it? Well, I took a small dose. I didn't... experience what they call the right role. I have no idea what that is. So my dose was basically what it felt like to me was an extended high of like like the same high DMT gives you. Um, mm. I just felt very comfortable, very warm, very talkative. That's really about it. Uh, my hands were super mm. sweaty. <laughs> like my hands kept sweating. <laughs> But nice. uh, yeah, but uh, you know what, though, I don't know exactly when it happened. But somewhere between the DMT and me flying back home, I've come to the realization that I'm God. Basically, everyone's God. You're God. I'm God. I've always known you. Yeah. But I've never, like, let it sit in. I never had the aha moment, you know? Like, Like it wasn't, like, an an experiential thing. It was kind of, like, more of an intellectual thing. But it just really kicked in. Yes. Yeah, so like before, I would like understand that, yeah, we were all part of the fractal and we were all our God, and which is coincides with the CIA document that we were reading and getting ready to discuss. But I got the, yeah, the feeling, like I felt it. I was able to experience it and, and I don't know. It's like the right brain caught up with weird. the left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it is very intense. Um, I personally like the, the way the cosmic cycles of nature are brought in line with the body, with the whole biological system. So it's not like they're saying that everything is mystical to the point where they can't be harnessed. It's, it's kind of like foraging for herbs, except you're, you know, utilizing different types of energy in sync with the body's biological system, which is in sync with the, the cosmic system as a whole. I, I like, I like Taoism over even Buddhism and Confucianism and Hinduism. And those three are great. They have some great lessons to learn from them. But they were constricting. Taoism was just is. It's just is. There is no yeah. good or evil. There just is. It's contradictory to the person who doesn't understand the, the depth of it. Sure. I think a lot of the problems with that, though, is the way the governments uh, decided to create their own brand. Like Hinduism, you had the caste system. But there was a Hinduism before the caste system. And that was just government infraction just trying to just like with china's infraction with the Taoist belief system i mean they 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 basically used confucius to to manipulate the masses and and there was just a lot of great teachings that preceded governance and those were the indigenous beliefs as opposed to the 
you know, the settled, uh, civilized beliefs. Oh, and I started a new stack. I was going to, I was going to say, yeah. I started a new herbal stack. Um, I might have told you guys about it, but I finally got it going. No, I, um, I haven't heard of it. Well, about three weeks without the, I mean, I hadn't been going with caffeine for about like around a half a year. So it's, it's been kind of tough, but I finally got this stack going, mixing, uh, ginseng, uh, a few other Chinese herbs. One of them is, uh, horny goat weed, but that's the American name. It's called yin yang. Well, uh, then I got maca mixed in with that and then mixed in with that ashwagandha root. So I've got like basically three adaptogens going together. So the ginseng, the maca, and the rhodiola mixed with the ashwagandha is four. The yin yang wo is more for like boost on top of the ginseng, but been taking that daily about 6,000, 7,000 milligrams for about three, four weeks. It's pretty incredible. It's, it's, it's not like, the same kick from certain things like energy drinks and all that, but like your taurine and your caffeine, but it feels like a more balanced get up and go type thing. Does that feel like a microdose kind of, if you do it every three days, a proper microdose? Well, it's funny you say that because it's not really a microdose when you're talking about like the 2000 milligrams. I mean, with maca was used by the, the Peruvians a lot, South America, Mayans, but it's like, it has special, it definitely has specific effects, especially when you start taking it. But I would say it relates in a sense to the Taoist or the, the chakra type based stuff. Cause you can feel it the way it influences specific energies. Like for example, the rhodiola rosia is like a, almost gives you this bull like a feeling, this feeling of like really strong stability, like ability to put your foot down, but be like, you know, stand your ground, that type of a thing. It has that effect. Yeah. It's very, very. Yeah, very Ganesha, very core of the earth, like fire and earth, like lava of the earth, that kind of thing. Very potent. The maca is more like solar plexus, abdomen, like cauldron type based. So like, you know, second, third Dantian type deal. Very fiery, warm. So it, it kind of fires up the heart a bit. And the ginseng and the yin yang will kind of work the second chakra region. So they all kind of act on different vortexes in a way, but it, feels really amazing when you when you can kind of get still and tranquil you can really feel like the different types of things happening like the way the herbs are acting on you that sounds like an interesting experience that i might need to partake on yeah it's definitely something to try because rhodiola is from uh, russia they call it golden flower maca is south american you know ginseng's chinese so i like blend all these different things but they freaking compliment well. My other objections with it, like uh, alcohol and cigarettes. <laughs> if I can quit those, if I can quit those, then we can be on a better path, anyways, regardless of what I take in my body. Yeah, those can kind of be the partners to the accessories to the crime. You know, like I mean, it's tough to to feel past those types of things. I've noticed. Like, I mean, I never really smoked in the true sense, nicotine or any of that, but it's like a shield. Like I noticed with the caffeine, like when I take it, I have trouble feeling the effects of the herbs that I'm trying to use. So that's one of the reasons why I get off it. It's definitely a lot harder to cope, but I just don't feel like I'm hyper per se. Like I can get hyperactive and that's all good, but it's just a different balance, I guess. I've seen a couple of people share uh, the CIA documents of the holographic, what are we going to call it? Holographic universe, I guess it is. It's a holographic universe, yeah. It works, yeah. Yeah. Are you guys talking about Montauk or MK Ultra? Okay, so here's the thing, Jay. That's so funny that you bring that up because the first person to send me the, the document 
I was scrolling through it. I was just doing a quick scroll and I was like, this seems very similar to Project Montauk. So I was like, is this like Project Montauk is shit? Like, what is this? And then he's like, oh no, it's about da 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 da. And we're like, oh, okay, well then I'll get into hmm. it. But that's well, like, where my the article went sometimes as well. can so be a bit general. And like sometimes sources aren't really mentioned that often. Things kind of get generalized. So I, I just wasn't sure. Is there like a way to link it like in the room? I could check it out. I just. I, I didn't see the document exactly. We did post one on Bobby's World. I believe that Chris, Chris, you did, right? Yes, True. I posted. And that, oh, do you remember the query uh, search for it? Was it like CIA hologram or holographic yes, universe? But, if you, if right. your keywords are CIA hologram universe, you're going to find several documents on Google. Uh, but the main one you want is a website that's going to have like a picture of the actual document itself. CIA.gov? I believe so. So the assessment of gateway process, that's probably it, I'm guessing. It looks like an approved for release Department of the yes. Army? Okay. Yes, yes, basically. It's a, it's a picture of this document that specifies our universe being a hologram. And it goes into detail about their discoveries along with, you know, the physics you know, people understood of the known physics of our world. Oh, declassified in 1983. Wow, I feel behind the curve. Yes. Holy shit. So, which, brings, which brings up the thought <laughs> that I had with Brittany earlier is, you know, this has been out for quite some time. Mm -hmm. you know, the media will talk about anything and everything in general, but when it came to this document, shoot, we're just now hearing of it. Why is it just now being aware to the public? You know, the truth of things I've noticed, they usually try to keep under wraps. And why was it released in the first place if they wanted to keep it covered? And why now to re-uncover it? They seem to bury everything in trends and resurface information. Like with the remote viewing, they were all over this type of shit in the 70s and the 60s. Yeah, that's so. what I was going to That's what I was mm. going to say. Remote viewing. Reminds me of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, hide everything because we don't know how valuable it is. Exactly. Yeah, the big warehouse. <laughs> exactly. Like, did you did you ever read? So you're familiar with uh with remote viewing? Have you ever checked out the Jupiter probe experiment that they did? No, I don't. Before NASA sent out the Jupiter probe, Ingo Swan, which was one of the heads of the original remote viewing process, before a lot of other guys took over, like Dames. I always forget the other guys' names, but Dames and and Swan were sort of like the big guys in it, and they wanted to do a test to see if they could bring up, uh, I guess you could say, significant data about what this probe would discover before they wanted to see if they could get it ahead of NASA. So they had a bunch of people trained in remote viewing that happened to be physicists, and they came to the conclusion about, for example, the rings pertaining to the ice. I want to say Europa. There was plenty of data that they had collected that gave a hint at a lot of the information that the probe ended up receiving later. I think it was all over Times Magazine. And then there was kind of a blackout because all these other, a bunch of other like chaotic events, catastrophic things started happening. So everybody forgot. It's kind of like the Mars thing. You remember when the Sidonian thing happened and, and Hoagland was all over that shit with the Enterprise mission and then bam, 9-11. I mean, it was like, there was, I mean, the Gulf War, not 9-11, not 9-11 not, not, not or the... It was a Persian Gulf thing, like kicked in, right? I forget there was there is for nine eleven. They were about to discuss this crazy crop circle that 
look like a communication from like the Zetas or some shit. They were like, they had that on, on some major magazines and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, they take it out. Yeah, there was all this stuff that was happening. Crop circles were going batshit crazy and then bam, 9-11 hit. They, they have these like wars seemingly like as almost like distractions, I guess, overt distractions to these types of events. But yeah, the Jupiter Pro was a big deal because they got, they got good info and so, so your, your point would be that perhaps they're using a bit of the hologram to deduce the other part from a distance without actually being there. Is that what you're... Well, what they were contesting was that the human... What Swan or Ingo Swan from the remote viewers called it the superhuman biomind. He said that the uh, psionic capability of man was capable of accessing information through the principle of non-locality, stuff like that, over long distances. And that was their way of sort of proving that. Now, of course, anybody else could have taken the information and they wouldn't have been able to see because they were, it, it works on a totally different, I mean, remote viewing isn't like directly looking at something physically. No. It's like they get, it's like a process of ideograms and like all these types of, it's, it's so coordinates. Yeah, Whatever. coordinates, but but it's so left-brained because like they refuse the imagination to come into part. So, but they got all these physicists to extrapolate the data, and they they were pretty convinced that there were that the rings and the the icy type region of Europa it wasn't called Europa then, of course, but they had quite a few points that were accurate. Right. So, how does that relate to? I mean, the physical structure of the universe with you know recursive fractal geometry, chaos holograph you know it's not just one driving force it seems like there's a lot in play not just sure. one thing chaos you know strange attractors that you see over time after plotting millions or billions of points you know order out of chaos either through excess energy or strange attractors and then you have the hologram that's you know projected from a lesser dimensional realm where time is actually one of the axes that maybe sets the pace, but, you know, the matter and the distribution of matter may be de determined on that level, but there's, because of recursion, all the basic individual pieces can exist on their own with no link to what is above, in a sure. sense. It's just like a program, you know, the, the recursive routine. It doesn't need to know what called it. It has no relationship to the calling program it can subsist and create amazing things on its own without any uh input from an external source and once it satisfies some conditions or a condition it exits and passes you know programmatic control back to the main calling program so that's where we can see this the process and possibly even consciousness and mm -hmm. and all the things that we see you know, how does that happen? Well, that's, to me, that's the locality, free will, independence. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's still connected. But right. it's hard, it's hard to discern. It's hard to see the link. Yeah. Right. I mean, they were, they were always talking about it kind of like a fluid timeline. And I remember universal mind was kind of a, they implied the idea that there was an intelligence in this. Okay. Oh, that's where people ahead. are getting a misconception. That, that's mm -hmm. the only reason why I want to stop you is because a lot of people are like, oh, they're saying that it's um, speaking of God or whatever because they use the, the absolute is what they're calling it. What it's actually referring to, I believe, is light. 
not like like a source because in order right. to have quantum a you like yes right very like good, packets you know. of information that are essentially everywhere infinitely uh with with no end and depending on the receiver you collect data and it's just extremely compressed information and then pop correct you get it I have a theory that goes behind uh, the CIA document, and I look at it in a spiritual sense as well. So whoever's listening, if you don't look at it in a spiritual sense, I understand where you're coming from. I also look at it on a quantum physics level as well. So I collaborate these two ideas in mind because I'm looking at the esoteric, and I'm looking at science, the physics that has been proven. We have so many different theories of everything right now, of what we think is, we just don't have all the numbers to fabricate the actual reality to expand beyond the illusion of what we are. Mind you, our sentient brains have up to 11 dimensions that has been proven, and our universe up to 11 dimensions as well. The higher you climb is the more chaotic this dimension is. When you have complete chaos, there is no life forms. But at the most basic level, there is no, there's a, a, it's still a basic life form. However, it is just in a 1D, it's not moving. So I look at it to the as above, so below instance as well. So you can connect, connect this Taoism into this as well. But mm -hmm. looking into it into the computerized sense, uh, this is a hologram, then it, I'm assuming that there's some AI technology that's being implemented into this. If we are a virtual reality in a, in a sense, then whoever we are and is plugging into this computer in a sense, and we get to choose this chaotic setting, this whatever dimension, whatever we're trying to learn in this bubble, because with a snap of a finger, a nanosecond could be a, a, a light year for the outside observer. You know, you could shrink down our nano, our nanosecond and it seems like time is perpetual, but it's not. Sure, it's perpetual, but at that level, it's not perpetual. It is just a microscopic view of the time that humans have fabricated. We have fabricated time to make sense of a linear timeline, but to the outside observer, this is all happening simultaneously, which is why we would consider this to be an omnipotence. Well, the brain can reflect that in a way, because if you think about the fact that our brains, or they, they'll describe us being material as vibrating in a slow, condensed, that matter is vibration, vibrating in a slow, condensed state, but that's not the way our brains operate. The more internalized, or intro, I guess you could say, the more introspective we become, our amplitude gets higher. So there's this, there's a function, so we have higher amplitude when our when our brain waves lower and, and do these specific things. So it's, it's, it's kind of reflective of the brain state. Well, have you ever looked at the rim of a wheel on a car and in its singular state, when it's not moving, we can see every spoke of this wheel, or we can look at the helicopter's blades as well. Well, in most of the state, you can look at all the blades, or all the spokes of the wheel, but when you spin this thing as fast as you can, it looks like the five spokes of a wheel. It's our perspective. We can't understand the frame rates because of the data of information that's being perceived by us. It's not quick enough. You would have to slow down time in order to understand this particular fabric type. And we have the technology to understand this when we manipulate the math and the arithmetic involved to understand the laws of physics itself. 
Yeah, it sounds kind of like the block universe theory that they've come up with lately. As far as, you know, any type of theoretical design, you, if you want infinite variety and infinite combinations, you're not going to code that. You're not going to... You're not going to make something to do it. You're going to set up conditions that make it happen automatically. Just let it go, and it's going to run on its own. Otherwise, too, you know, too much maintenance, too many details. It's got to function on its own. You need chaos. So, yeah, yeah. So, so could we be in a simulation? Hell yeah. I mean, I think everything is inherently, in a way. But it's got to be simple. Who knows what that is? I certainly don't. Well, that's what I'm the acronym of KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Hey. <laughs> that's well, right. The, the reason why I mentioned Universal Mind earlier in correlation to the remote viewing data was they stumbled onto sort of an AI problem with the remote viewing, like the CIA and these different groups in the military that were consulting with these guys to try to get information. The more war-oriented their applications became, they noticed this almost blurring of the accuracy of the data. Like when they started and they were just experimenting on each other, you know, playfully and trying to, to, to grasp, kind of like grasping the psychic capability of the mind, they were getting these great percentages. But the minute they started expanding it out, it was like there was a time where they were able to get everything accurately. But once it started becoming all about war, they noticed this rapid decrease, rapid decline in accuracy, implying that this universal mind, I wouldn't call it God, was onto them in a sense, like a program, if you will. Is this Princeton project with the eggs all over the planet and stuff like that, the random, random number generators? I've heard of this, but I haven't researched that particular angle of it. Pretty interesting. It sounds similar to what you're talking about. Uh, before a big global event, the the numbers become significantly non-random. Just right. anyway, from a few hours to no, a few I days. Get, now I get you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they've actually done the reverse too. Like They proved that a lot of uh, simulated results from, let's say, the Noetic Sciences group uh, that was head by Raiden at the Rhine Center... They found that a lot of the information that they got from people that were trying to get psychic results right at, on the cusp of 9-11, everybody's scores went like drastically down as if there was like this massive sweep of ignorance, as if the mind didn't want to acknowledge that there was some major catastrophe like right around the corner. But within a few days, all of a sudden, everything went back up to a norm. I guess they were just they were extrapolating all this data from from these like tests that they were doing online and there was this massive like downward spike in accuracy i want to skip back a second to what you were saying about the uh, psychic ability dropping when it became used for war like it was almost like um, a hive mind was onto the people mm -hmm. trying to use the ability for war i used to give guidance in an online forum for energy workers and one of the things that I used to kind of teach people or say to people is, you know, if you want things to happen, you can't, you have to respect that the energy has its own kind of subtle consciousness. It doesn't just want to be used. It wants to be used appropriately. Mm -hmm. For the betterment of the species, that sort of a thing. Well, and that's yeah, just the consciousness being used appropriately. It, 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 it's more that it responds to emotional input. So if it can send an emotional input that, say, sad or destructive 
angered, you know, hateful, it, it's not going to want to cooperate. Just like if someone speaks to you in a hateful manner, you don't want to cooperate with them. And it's the same kind of thing. So you could, you, you could potentially, and this is something I never said to people, but technically you could potentially coax it to do something that isn't good for some. If you coaxed it to do it in a, in a, in a loving manner, does that make Right, because it's like suggestive. It's like a childlike mind. I mean, a lot of people with the most yeah, success yeah, in yeah, these psychic yeah. programs happen to be almost, I guess, autistic to a certain point where they were more suggestible. These things work. A lot of the behavioral stuff was more effectively done on these types of people. Well, it's interesting. In a tarot, it happens quite often that the people ask a question, but they won't answer the question that they're asking about if there is a more important question on their mind. You don't know anything about it, but the cards will talk to that question. What's most important to that person right now? And you see it all the time when I used to do it, but it's the same thing. It's uh, there's subjective there. reflection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some involvement. Well, this will ba- well, this will balance out, in my opinion, the uh, intelligence of the heart and the intelligence of the brain. A lot of people think, you know, I've seen a lot of these uh, discussions online regarding the different personalities of people. You know, Carl Jung has his own little test, and we have the horoscopes, and we have the numerology, and then we have this, this, and this, trying to figure out what you are. I think, though, in a sense, though, with the Taoism, and then, uh, you know, if you can hone in on this energy with your chakras, for example, and then you think about the things of physics. It's it's a little bit more biologically motivated when you're working with the chakras. That's why I think it's cool to get the whole acupressure systems mixed with that because a reference point from internal, the internal system is a lot different than extraneous observation. Figure out how to connect the two. Right, right. Chris B., I guess we'll say. I'm just going to call Chris. Christopher, you're going to be shrooms from now on. Chris, um, you were talking about the block something it's the block universe all of history past present future is all stacked like a stack of video frames one on top of another and yeah. uh, we go through them just like a movie but it implies that you can access any part of that universe from any other part because they're all part of the same block it all happened at once they're not distinct through time only we see the time so it's another avenue. To, yeah, exactly. So sounds a lot like non-locality. Yeah, yeah, and it, you got to realize that a lot of this stuff and a lot of things people talk about is because it's the appropriate math to solve the problem. That's it. That's why they came up with the holographic stuff because some things could be solved better in two-dimensional math. Uh, certain particle interactions can't be deduced in our three four-dimensional realm. So they went to the 2D, and and so it's whatever's appropriate. There's an article right now that compares the dark energy, dark matter model to the holographic model, and the dark energy, dark matter is still more accurate based on observations, but it's math is just an approximation. It's a very good one, but it is not reality. It's an approximation of, and... That's that's a discussion on its own, right? Mm-hmm. But that's I, want, I want to connect with your 
to elaborate on this on a more abstract level and with the use of entheogens. You've heard of the time blade. Who has take a psychedelic so would not know what I'm talking about, this time blade. And it, I've been into an experience to where I wasn't in my physical body anymore and it wasn't a dream. I was in a different reality at a different time with a best friend who had already passed away. But I was with him during this time and I saw his death through this experience and I died with him. He had passed away two years prior. This, this reality just blew away any conceived notions of what I thought was reality. You know, I've heard of the term of everything's happening simultaneously all at the same time all this living different realities at the same time, we cannot experience that but a pixel at a time. So that's how I connect with that. It's very abstract, but it blows my mind in the same sense. The way I choose to think about it is you've only tried to view, well, I don't, it's hard to factor yourself into it when you're trying to transcend the problem. But when everything's looked from an introverted or an extroverted context, we fail to see that the inside is basically the same as the outside. I mean, it's as if to say that what we feel on the inside comes from without, and that's not always true. You know, like everybody tries to act as, as though something that acts upon us from the environment causes our emotions, causes our feelings. You know, a, a lot of these really materialistic concretisms relating to how those things happen, but there's these other levels of experience, um, information that's being interpreted constantly. And that's why I like to call it tactile systems, because right now our species has no concept of what tactile information is. We're too busy focusing on the fact, oh yeah, yeah, I know that's a wall, but how do you, how does your body know what that wall feels like? There's information. You're already interpreting information before you've touched it. And if you put it in a loop, which is this constant sleepwalk disco, let's say you're walking somewhere and you always walk to this place and whatever, and you have this illusion that you get there faster. But what actually happens is your subconscious process, your robot hijacks your system, plays a loop for you because it's convinced that you already know the whole routine, but you miss about 99% of what's going on between A and Z, the more unconscious you become. Bravo, you took the words out of my mouth, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, that always blows my mind. I, I crashed my motorcycle into that wall at about 50 miles an hour, and I, I know what the wall feels like. <laughs> <laughs> the comment about the brain being a misunderstood or not understood, and also how our universe, you know, is not really understood and what's outside of it. I like, I think it's a nice, it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling just to think about it as consciousness and experience and just the whole table set before us is actually kind of existence looking at itself in the mirror saying what the fuck mm. yeah. i exist I like we exist yeah. yeah that is and people would take that as duh everybody knows that mike but do <laughs> they acknowledge it See, I take it in a very, I don't take, maybe y'all take it in a pessimistic view, but I've always had the dark shadows, you know. It, it's comforting to me, to me, that everything is meaningless. It means nothing. So people would say, oh, this is nihilism. I find it's nihilism because of, because <laughs> of everything is meaningless. You can do whatever you want. You can feel whatever you want to feel because at the end of the day, there really is no con there is no consequence maybe to this physical form there's a consequence 
you know, the, the, the end of what I call the flesh prison, this robotic cyborg made of flesh will end the sentience, but the sentience will go somewhere. It condenses our atoms condense into a different form. What right. form beyond death, we don't know because when we extrapolate the consciousness from it, you know, we have never dissected death itself. We've never put or our perceptional apparatus. Exactly. Like We've our perceptional apparatus is very limited. You know, we just, we, we use eyes. We use, we, I mean, people don't use smell anymore. It's the most powerful sense. They don't use it anymore. Um, everything's covered with colognes and perfumes. But you know, like perfumes, yeah, and they've done research that people get divorces because of that shit. They don't even know what their partner smells like by the time they've been <laughs> in a relationship. So they end up living in close quarters and they end up hating each other because they have to deal with the way they actually smell, uh, aside from all these masks, you know. Probably smells like cats, God damn it. Yeah, I thought he was Aspen. What the fuck? You know? <laughs> yeah, what happened to the smell of lavender and roses? That's from my grandma, I guess, man. With regards to the understanding of the universe, though, from, from the human perspective, the, the, the big obstacle for anyone with, with any of that is we, we can only understand anything subjective of you, you know, through our own experience, through our own eyes. Mm -hmm. you saying earlier, you know, every, every theory, you know, holographic universe, electric universe, relativity theory, it's all trying to understand a set of problems the best way available. Magneto, did you read the, I, this is probably a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you read the CIA document that was released? He's like, I read it three years ago. Uh, which one? The one that we're speaking on now, the whole holographic oh. universe one that's been going around. I haven't read it. I've seen it discussed before, but no, I haven't read the document. It's okay, basically... Besides a holographic universe, there's an energy web network that connects all things. Basically, what we're talking about, how and why that could happen. Yeah, the energy web thing sounds a bit like electric universe. Right? Dreamcatcher. Uh, I, I need to read that book. You mentioned the electric universe. So the energy web sounds interesting because, again, going back to it, to I guess spiritual stuff I've talked about and taught. I've always seen the universe as a way of interconnecting energies, and that's how I've always spoken of it. When I, I tell people about recharging themselves after spiritual practices, I always talk about, you know, draw down from the, the flows of energy that connect through the stars, which is kind of, you know, possibly a kind of strange way for, for some people to hear about it. But yeah, when I then late, you know, years later read about electric universe, and then as you're saying now in um, Webs of Energy, you need to go and read that CIA book. So we'll exchange. I want to see this electric universe thing, and I'll send you the CIA thingy. Me and, I remember me and Magneto discussing the magnetic universe, or the electric universe. It seems like it was a couple of weeks ago. This particular star that was so-called discovered is 200 billion light years older than the universe, or shall say the Big Bang, was created. Uh, one of our members in Bobby's world sent out a, a document from Princeton, and it was called The Last Question, and I read this, and I even listened to it on uh, my audio book, and it just seemed to connect everything in a way that made sense about this computer. You ask this computer anything, and they will, they will give you an answer, and the last question was, well, what's after this ends, you know? You know, once the sun dies, can you create a new sun? 
Well, the universe basically extracted all the energy ever used. Essentially, everything is energy. Blade of grass is energy. Energy is just a condensed form of atoms that will give you a longevity of the thing that you are powering. So combining all this together, it just blew my mind that a so-called computer that humans fabricated essentially had no data to give to humans because the last data was humans and it wanted to reverse entropy. If you look at it in the physics level, entropy has to happen. Everything has an end. Everything is extinguished. Once it's extinguished, well, what happens? Our consciousness, all our ideas and thoughts have to go somewhere. They're put into a pinpoint, to a singularity. And what happens when you put everything into a point of singularity? It can't stay in that one point. It has to go somewhere. And then thus happens the so-called Big Bang. All this energy starts to create itself over a long period of time. You know, so the absolute zero would essentially have been reached, but at the same time is reversed in the blink of an eye, which would connect to the holographic universe from the outside perspective. That's exactly right. And it comes back even explaining the dimensions. Like everything you're explaining comes back to that. And that zero point energy, the, what were, what were they calling it again? The absolute, right? Absolute zero. And it talks about, some people like to t talk about it as a temperature field for us to make a, a, a cognitive sense of it. But absolute zero is not a temperature. The temperature is a scale of our human perception of how hot or cold something can get. But there is, an abs there is no absolute scale between up or down. However, absolute zero is when matter has stopped vibrating. Uh, there is not any part of the universe that matter is not moving. Everything's vibrating at some certain frequency. In a lab, apparently, this absolute zero has been tested and to be proven true, but they didn't reach absolute zero. It's never been happened to our recorded knowledge. What about dark matter? What about dark matter? That's where all our math and our data is. You know, we can have the, we can come up with the numbers, dark matter, dark energy. We would literally figure out the rest of the universe. This is half of the empty spaces that we can't come up with right now, but we can't find this data. The math is not there. Mm -hmm. Einstein has all these theories, like the theory of relativity. We have special relativity, then we have general relativity. You're looking at a point from a point A to point B, and then we have laws of physics. This well, point B is moving at all times, well, so is point A. You have special relativity, and you have, you know, basic relativity. Well, theory, in my opinion, is correct. We just don't have all the data and all the information to prove that it's there because we haven't found the math behind it yet. So the guess is as good as anybody's, in my opinion, until we actually extrapolate their proper arithmetic. Now, I had a I had a bunch of thoughts on a bunch of stuff, and I'll, I'll loop around a, a couple of them. We're talking about how you can sense things. And I posted a meme about this, and it's kind of a fun experiment if you think about it. You can visualize just about anything, like a wall or a football or your smartphone, and your tongue will know what that texture is or possibly what it tastes like you give it a shot it's kind of one of those you know mind-blowing type of things and you know I, I think that ties back into where you know one of our senses is is kind of more intuitive than we give it credit we're talking about you know some of the physics here and, and it's true i mean we're constantly discovering new mathematics and oftentimes it you know we have to invent new mathematics to explain some type of phenomenon mathematics is kind of the the general language of of nature itself of how things are you can describe most anything with mathematics but it, there comes a point when some of our mathematics fail 
relativity, talking about the speed and position of something as anything that has rest mass. The, as it approaches light speed, it, its mass goes to infinity. And, you know, that's kind of the conundrum of time stops at that point for that particular, from the perspective of that object. That's why a, a photon in and of itself, and this is wave-particle duality as well, it, photons travel at light speed in a vacuum. They don't have uh, resting mass or rest mass, but they are when they're in superposition, in other words, when they're not being observed or measured by any point, they exist in all points, all potential points. And when they're observed, their position becomes fixed. And if you don't observe it or don't measure it for a minute, then measure it again in another minute, it's in a different position. And, you know, we have linear time, we experience linear time based on the way our brains process information. And I also thought that information theory is another interesting view of the universe in the sense of the information, you know, the universe is just bits of information, uh, if you want to look at it that way. So that, you know, that's another mathematical model, if you want to think about it. Quantum computing is kind of built on that with a link back into physics and how entanglement works and how you can uh, set up certain atomic structures to to behave in a certain way. They, you know, you can set up logic gate in a quantum computer to perform all logical functions at the same instant, which is kind of really cool if you think about that. If you if you know Boolean logic, that's kind of mind-blowing to me. Wow, if you can have a, a logic gate that can do all functions at the same time, it's interesting. I, right now, quantum computing is, is kind of one of those things of... You have to have a specific calculation in mind when you build one. We're really good at doing singular things at the moment, but that's improving as we go along, too. So I think that as we see quantum computing uh, evolving and AI evolving, I think you're going to see those types of things inventing a lot of new mathematical models that, that we just wouldn't have thought of without that type of... Type of uh, we're familiar with the evolution of all species, and when we look at it, most evolutionary species are not in control of how they want to evolve. But if we look at the octopus, for example, they can change their RNA. They, with the RNA, they can choose how it wants to evolve, but because of that, it takes a long time to evolve. Do you think humans, instead of changing the DNA of the species, could change their RNA to fix all the illnesses, all the diseases that the humanity has at a certain level. If you could change the RNA, then you could change the bad aspects of humanity as well. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I certainly think that that's, yeah, well within the realm of feasibility. I mean, with CRISPR, I don't know if anybody's read much about CRISPR, is a genetic editing tool that allows you to read a genome and go in and snip one here, turn turn a gene on, turn a gene off, uh, take a little segment out, replace a segment here and there. Really easily, people with a lab set up in their in their basement can run CRISPR, which is somewhat dangerous, I would say. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, you have to think about the ethics of that. <laughs> but I, I think that, yes, I mean, it, for sure, humanity has the, the technology and is developing it further that we are certainly capable of editing our own genetic makeup you get an ethical dilemma sometimes in in that sense that you know if you want to genetically engineer a human that said human didn't have a choice in that matter you kind of get into the oh, okay well you know that, that that's kind of a, a conundrum 
but I believe that's going to be a. I believe that's going to be a. Science definitely didn't choose to be on this damn planet in that kind of sense. I was popped out of some person, and here I am. We could pass the irrelevancy of that. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, you know, one would argue in a sense of whether you chose to be here or not when you incarnate it. It depends on your, your view of that in a sense of you exist whether you have a physical body or not. All matter is condensed energy at a slower vibration. You know, all of the atoms in my body have changed over several times in my lifetime. But at the same time, every atom that I'm made of, uh, every thought that I think, the energy has been in the universe since it was created. And, and that goes back to the simultaneous nature of, of existence. You know, that, that can, you can kind of get into really deep wells from a Buddhist perspective or for different, different Eastern religion perspectives. You're, you're working out something. You chose to come to this, this plane of existence to do and be something. That, <laughs> cut it uh, or you can but you know it, it just adds on to well, what would be karmic debt and you know you got to repeat lessons until you learn them <laughs> and that seems to be a, a, a general theme in life anyway I, uh, I think that i think that they, you know that's a lot of religion and a lot of theology kind of goes back to that in the sense that it's it's more of a how do you explain this particular thing that we all experience and i think that that religion and science are aligned in that that particular stance, in the sense of I think they're both ways of explaining things. They're just some science, you know, ultimately I often say has a particular method of of how we evaluate information and prove out information. It can always accept new information as an input and change. You know, can throw out everything we already knew, and because we have new information, and science is always open to that. But ultimately, you can ask how and why about any given thing long enough or in a chain where you can't explain it. It ultimately comes down to you accept it. So it's a belief or a faith. Religion uses the same aspect. It's just on a broader scale than science. It's more of a, an intuitive type of knowing. So I, I think that, you know, the two are fairly well aligned and a lot of people would disagree with that. You know, it's one of those there's a quote and i forget who who said it i think it's warner heisenberg but i'm not positive you know the first gulp of of physics will make you an atheist but god's waiting for you at the bottom of the glass science cleared the forest of ignorance only to find god staring back at them right and it, 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 two, two realities are you know uh it's not two realities it's one reality it's just two different ways of understanding the same thing but, but think, um, about, think about this, though. We're not equipped to see all the spiritual and metaphysical stuff. Some people are more than others or whatever. But what if we focused on actual technology surrounding spirituality and metaphysics? Well, governments don't like that stuff because spirituality, they can't control that. But until we actually start engaging with things that we're observing and doing, we're not going to see any advancement. I don't think. It's actually been here for about 15, 20 years. There's been technology of that sort. The problem is the press is low. The press yeah, is you're never... Right, man. In, in a sense of, yeah, it's not pushed a lot. Private circles, you know, and, and people gain an interest in it, and, you know, they something resonates with them, and they kind of get an interest in it, and they start searching and start growing in, in those aspects. And... That's typically how that evolves, and it's not necessarily a mainstream idea, but I agree. That 
I think once you know AI singularity hits and we have quantum computing as a as a as a norm, then I think that we're going to see some phenomenal leaps in discovery. Uh, but yes, I mean we're all energetic beings and we all interact at a quantum level with everything. I, I just read an article the, this week about actually observed a quantum fluctuation impacting a forty kilogram mirror. You know that's that's kind of physical. Prove or quantum interaction, right? Yeah, for a quantum interaction, a quantum fluctuation to impact uh, something that and at a distance, it's it's one of those things of okay, it just kind of proves out the the thought scientifically that we're all interconnected and we're all kind of one thing. It's just it, manifesting acknowledging that, yeah. though. Yeah, but, but it's more than that. Like you were talking about quantum computers and how you know with the qubits, it's more than just zeros and ones and some of those calculations would take more particles than exist in the universe to calculate how the hell does that happen the device itself i think would tell us a lot well it can back to the fabric of time itself and how everything began the data is not going to speak for itself until all the data has been collected we as the observer inside the observation to the outside observer will never know this data. I still think we have to be able to bring up our perceptual apparatus in balance with the tech because the tech is going to sort of create an imbalance with our ability to perceive of it. It would be silly to think that we can only come to understand the uh, the vibration of everything through mere technology and acknowledging the fact that we are energy and these types of things only through psychedelics or only through plugging ourselves in the technology or being able to like look through the eyes of a scope. It's also about us re-engineering our biology and our nervous systems to be able to express that. I was thinking about that web thing you guys were talking about earlier when you said being able to perceive textures and you were talking about that meme that you had posted. And what I think about that is that our skin, for example, we have the, we have like millions of pores, right? And it doesn't occur to people that like we're sort of penetrated by this light at all times because we don't see it. And in most cases, people don't feel it. What they do is they feel the wind, you know, they feel the obvious factors of the environment around them. But, you know, just to posit, and I don't want to sound too preschool when I say this, the possibility, um, that, we're being interpenetrated by these light shafts at all times. So there's your web, your spider's web, your dream catcher. And the reason perhaps why we can feel that wall or we can, we can know what the texture of that is. Maybe fragrance is a little bit difficult, requires some training. We can do that is because our skin and our apparatus is linked via those shafts of light that interpenetrate us constantly. But without the perception of the fact that we're being interacted with by these levels of energy, which would result in vibration, we would basically be completely blind to it. Now, we could use computers to do that. We could use certain types of technology. But I think that bringing people up to that at the human cognitive level would make more sense and then to tweak it with the technology. Otherwise, the tech is going to be exclusively relied on. I want to put into the spirituality sense of this, and I mentioned it to Brittany earlier. Y'all have heard of the word being used, people that are empaths, who can relate with the energy that is around them, right? Clairvoyance in a way. Mm -hmm. I, I am one of these people. 
I thought it was bullshit for a long time. Like, there's no freaking way that this is true. There's no way that a person is confusing of the emotions that's inside of them until other people around me started saying, hey, this is going on with you. And then I looked at my surroundings of where I was living and realized that everything and everyone around me, I was literally being leached by them. I was feeling their essence. I was feeling their energy. And this completely takes away from the technology of people to understand this very thing. Some people have this clairvoyance. Some are psychics. Some are bullshit psychics. But the true psychics, either through dreams or through feeling the emotions of a room, being a medium, meaning to comprehend the death of the other side, basically, you know, as above, so below. You know, there is an opposite of living. There's an other side that science really hasn't touched on yet that we don't understand, which makes me think that this is the dark matter and dark energy that science itself is very ignorant to. However, when we look at the esoteric and a lot of their teachings that are being uh, read, they connect these dots. I think in time, they will connect to people that have natural abilities within themselves. This is due to the DNA, the genetic mutation of the self, to comprehend the overall consciousness of everything that is around us. So you can use psychedelics to do this. You can use technology. It doesn't matter. But but essentially, you have these certain people that have a, just this understanding that's natural that are trying to convey to the people around them. And I think through music, through certain fundamental sciences with the physics, when you combine these together and you look at the vibrational level of everything, then we can begin to understand the fabric of how a human actually works and how everything synchronizes together. There's too many things that don't make sense to me on a scientific level, and I pursue science all the time, but I pursue spiritual studies, and they both intertwine, in my opinion, but some people are a little aghast to wanting to do it. I agree with that. I just was trying to point out that there's a trident in the road rather than a two-way fork. And in most of these subjects, we have one deviating line going from one direction or the other. In most cases, it's through the shamanic, but exclusively through the psychedelic form or through the aspect of technology rather than, wait, without that stuff, what could we do? And a lot of the people don't want to necessarily partake of that because that would be too difficult. But that is the path. That's the selfhood right there. Because we have these things only to help us along the path. We have technology like biofeedback is called biofeedback because it gives you feedback on your biology. But it doesn't mean that the computer is your biology. You know, you have the psychedelic because it's teaching you the experience. You know, the mushrooms, the teacher, what it teaches you, you can carry with you. I would absolutely agree with that, that Jay. That's, that's kind of the way I was thinking too. It's like, well, psychedelics are a tool. And whether we're talking about technology itself as a tool, I mean, we're tool users. So we tend to try to enhance our understanding and our ability to experience with tools or to, you know, to right. do things with tools. So I, I don't think it's, you know, wrong either which way. I mean, uh, Magneto and I have talked about this before. I think on one of, one of the other podcasts, I, mean, I don't, I haven't ever used psychedelics. I, I tend to have come by this via Chris. Uh, I'll chime in there in the sense of I've always been a, acutely aware of, of energy and, and I can kind of intuit what other people, where other people are. And yes, you know, certainly there's energy vampires out there that I, I just steer, steer clear of. And that's what I call them. You know, I've always seen, you know, energy fields. 
and I, you know, I've had my eyes checked <laughs> several times. I didn't know it was. I thought everybody could do that. I didn't really realize that was not unique. Yeah, you it's know, hard to talk about. Unique, too. Yeah. You know, until I was probably a young adult. You know, so it's somebody crazy and schizophrenic. I'm like, no, this is something completely different. Well, exactly, and you know, it's just one of those things. It sounds crazy, but you know, it's just I don't talk about it an awful lot in general. I got in the mouth for talking about it, man. (laughs) It's one of those things of well, you know, it's just my experience. I mean, it's 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 always been there for me. It's not like it's extremely vibrant. I'm just aware of it. You know, I was thinking the other day. I was talking to somebody. I can't remember exactly the conversation, but we were talking about light, and I think you know how the speed of light worked and relativity again, but light in of itself, which is how our eyes see is, is the reflected light energy of, of, of anything, any surface. Light is a fundamental force of the universe. One of the four is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. If you think about that in a sense of, we are acutely attuned to sense the universe and interact with the universe in some of the fundamental forces that we're just not, it's like a default of. that limits us. Right. Uh, I mean, a default preset, you know. There's well, a, all just a reflection of the source itself anyway. So everything that we receive from the light source itself is a distant past, technically. Right, but light is more than that. Light is a force carrier. It's uh, You have particles and all that, but light is what transmits the force between everything. Interactions in your mind, your electromagnetic... Patterns in the surface sure, of your mind, visual, actually. Right. No, that, that's light, too. I mean, so every, everything except, that way, yeah. yeah, everything is light, except for gravity. Synaptic, basically. Right, the so clarity. everything, we're all light, uh, except for the particles that can emit light and absorb light. Um, well, I would yeah. say that, that way when we touch the force and the weak force, and then there's gravity that we don't... Yeah, there's, there's, there's four, but those are forces, not force carriers. There's gluons... Photons, gauge photons, those are carriers. They're not particles, and there's a difference. As far as as, uh, confusion and stuff that uh, Chris was talking about that I totally empathize with, I find it easier to think of myself and ourselves as binary beings. We're animals, but we're also spirit. we got something else going on that's really evident. But I try to see which one is doing the talking right now. Is it the spirit or is it the man? You got to take care of the man, but you got to take care of the spirit too. And there's some overlap there as well. Our biology is both in our mind. You know, our microtubules that Feynman and some other physicists determined were probably the seat of consciousness because the dimensions of the microtubules are perfect for quantum interactions. And that's that's the essence, the energy that is supposedly released when we die and, and can continue on. So there is physical, you know, theories, of course, but uh, some real good background for it. But the marriage of biology, spirit, and the universe, all connected by light, is where we are. And uh, no wonder it's hard to figure out. Science needs to let us start looking inside of ourselves rather than just, you know, trying to give up all the info and tell us this is the way reality is. We also have to be able to have access to uh, the ability to look internally, too. You need to stop reading my mind, dude. I was thinking just the same thing. I can't remember who the quote was by it, but I posted it maybe a couple of days ago. But this philosopher specified that 
all the answers are within side of ourselves that may that I can give you the answers for sure, but each of us individually have all the answers within us if we only look deep enough and sit with ourselves enough. You know, the Buddhas did this. You know, people think of Buddha as one singular man, but you anyone can become a Buddha. The point of the Buddha was to go out into the wilderness and to seek thyself, and all the answers would be given. Once they have achieved of finding their true actual self and unlearning everything that has been shoved down our throats, basically, you go into the wilderness for an unspecified amount of time. You find yourself and you learn all the answers. Well, this Buddha would come out and he would give this word, his experience of whatever he went through. Carl Jung then later specifies shadow self. You know, everybody's human. No one's perfect. Everyone sins. You know, the Christians, the Catholics, the Jews, Muslims, they all took this as well. To try to better humanity as a, as a whole, say, hey, this is right, this is wrong. It's better to live this way. And they were all right in their minds. But the human self, the ego, likes to attach this and to control things. And this is where we see the, see the veil being lifted right now. And I mentioned this a couple of times. The veil's been lifted already as of couple, about a week ago. Some people understand that the veil's been lifted. Some people don't. Well, I think society's been stuck in the Victorian age for a long time. Yeah, at, I think uh, it's evolving. It's, all, it's ultimately evolving. I think that a recurring thought here just the past few, few minutes has been a lot of this is information that we know. And it probably was known long, long ago, but forgotten. It, there's just untold amounts of information that was lost when the library at Alexandria burned. Dogma can can erase massive amounts of knowledge, and I think that you know that that's kind of where people can become dogmatic, you know, and 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 think that this is a fundamental truth. Any particular thing can be a become a fundamental truth to them, and that's dogma. They exclude other knowledge to to that truth often, and, and people get stuck in it in a, in a loop in that sense. So I think that a lot of things that we think we're rediscovering was previously known but forgotten. Well, in the Bible, you know, in Ezekiel, uh, the chariots of fire, and I think in Hinduism, there's UFOs. The monos, the monos, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, the monos, there's yeah. certain things. Is interesting to to look at in the sense of whether we had some type of advanced technology at the time, or whether there's a a, a visiting interstellar species that, that came uh, that interacted with us. That was you know all that has just been lost. I'd like to just go back to um, what was being said about Buddha momentarily. The going into the wilderness. See the the wilderness wasn't necessarily about going into the wilderness as in the wilds and the you know the forests or whatever disappearing from civilization but it was about disconnecting yourself from the typical kind of everyday wants and needs and desires of the world around you so that you could actually find what was yourself amongst the kind of i guess chaos and confusion of the world you know what were your own thoughts and your own emotions and what were those from things projected at you from outside influences, for example. Going into the wilderness as such, as a phrase, I think, can be, or, you know, my thoughts on it anyway, is that that as a phrase can kind of 
you know, these days in the modern interpretation of you know, people talking about Buddhism and similar things, I think can be misleading to people. It make, makes people, yeah, and I think that's possibly actually occurs to me as possibly why you have people running off, around, you know, to Thailand and Malaysia and you know, these distant, you know, distant places going on back to packing holidays trying to find themselves. And whether they find themselves or not, just have a great time, who knows? And that's probably down to the individual. But yeah, as I say, I, I, I don't think Buddha men literally go into the wilderness. Is more about spiritual concepts of wilderness. Yeah, there's a lot of stereotypes. That completely. You, you hear about that in the Bible too, in the sense of wilderness wandering. Wanderings. Jesus went into the wilderness for forty days. There's always yeah. the, the wilderness wandering, wandering to the of uh, the the Jews. You know, for it, I think a lot of wilderness is metaphorical. I agree. Uh, you don't have to go somewhere truly to to stop and just exist and listen and people don't do that and a lot of people are that's this scary to a lot of people to try to disconnect and and stop your own mind long enough to just experience what is also think though however wilderness wanderings in a sense of connection to nature we're a part of our environment and our environment is part of us and i think that oftentimes we isolate ourselves from nature too much if we don't have some type of connectedness to the natural world around us then we kind of get anxious and all kind of bad things can happen emotionally or or spiritually or and it manifests in your professional life and everything else your sleep patterns uh, so i think that it's important to have time in nature and and step outside of our our technological bubbles, so to speak, to, to reconnect every so often, that's regenerative. But agree, I mean, I meditate daily simply for the fact that if I don't, then I think I'll lose my mind. There's a few ways down that road, though. Meditation, like you said, you know, reflection, wilderness, your mind, and so forth. Pain, intense pain and grief can also do that. It really tells you what's important. You know, pain is the touchstone of spiritual progress, some people say. Hard to argue with that. But there's, a, there's another way, too, though. And that's just a desire to have an accurate portrayal of reality within your cranium. So if that's your goal and you want to be as efficient as possible, you don't discount anything. You don't take, you don't judge. You That's a data point. Oh, okay, and that's another one. You would and strive then, for psychic literacy. Yeah, you, and then you just right. throw it all in the pot and you distill it. Apply some heat, let your brain do its own thing. And the drops that distill out of that are usually pretty close to the mark. And that's the way I operate. I don't Processing try. power, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I, I walk away from stuff and let my brain do it in the background. I walk back and there it is. And a shower, a shower will do it. I, everything I come up with is in the freaking shower. I think there was a, a actual thing. Uh, it's actually been studied in neuroscience that your brain has those aha moments, those breakthrough moments, usually when it's disengaged. And it's like when you're driving, when you're in the shower, you're doing mundane things. If you take a vacation and you're disengaged from your normal, you know, intent focus to work or to exist in your environment, that's when your brain 
sort of goes idle and, and it can actually process information more efficiently that way. And just to your pain point, I, I can empathize with that. I'm, I, I suffer chronic pain. So I, pain can definitely, pain, pain can definitely focus your mind. And I don't know, in a sense of, uh, I'm not necessarily a sadist, but you know, you can turn extreme pain into euphoria too, uh, with the right focus. Of course. It's a fight flight system. I mean, that's, that's our sympathetic nervous system. So all of these types of primal instincts, uh, the shadow would be rooted in that. I agree. I want to circle back to CRISPR. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's just a circle. I mean, in a sense of, you know, we're all talking about how we sense and experience the universe and, and how, how we exist in our environment and how we interact with our environment. And I think that CRISPR, like I said, it's it's a wonderful tool, but it, it can be dangerous. It's just like any technology. Technology itself doesn't care. It's how it's used. It can be destructive. It can be creative. It can it can aid or it can it can harm. Uh, you know, so there's it, it it depends on the tool user, not necessarily the tool. So I think intent, that, yeah, yeah, it's intent, and and intent has a lot of meaning to word, thought, action. You know, it all really boils back down to intent. A lot of times, and, and that's sometimes hard to intuit. There can't be intent without knowledge, though, because they're picking at a million-piece jigsaw puzzle and just picking pieces out. So there's no knowledge. There can't be any wisdom. There can't be any real intent that is accurate. Well, I think you know, there's there's things that are happening in the in the genetic world in the sense of you know I'm a veteran and part of the VA has a massive study going on where they're studying the DNA of a million different veterans and it goes into a massive genetic data bank and the, the information is anonymized as to who the genetic donor is, but it's it's one of those things of it's helping with to understand the human genome and how diseases manifest and you know how they're controlled in the genetic makeup. Those types of things are happening. There's also a lot of private studies, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily pay attention to or hear about that, that are, there's an awful lot going on in DARPA that if just look at DARPA's website and it's public knowledge and they post all the research projects they're into and it, it would take you a month just to figure out all of the stuff that they're doing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're doing some really amazing things. Unfortunately, DARPA's existence is to weaponize technology. <laughs> you know, so you think that that's that's you know things that they discover is can have Robot a lot of cats and shit. Yeah, yeah, to help humanity, but you know they they intend to weaponize it. You know, ultimately, it seems. I think CRISPR. It's you know particularly given the, the rapid change in our environment maybe a, a useful tool that's going to maybe force the issue in the sense of of in order to survive, we're going to have to start editing our own genome to be able to adapt to the rapidly changing environment. You know, the extreme uh, result of that is all of us as machines with electronic consciousness. I mean, really, because you start modifying. And then there's the, you know, the whole alien thing, you know, true, false, who cares. But the one of the theories is that they've actually come back because they've been traveling the universe and it's they're in the future now, and they actually need to get some of their old DNA to get back what they lost because they're like Nubaru, yeah, X, yeah, who knows? But so it's interesting, but it is dangerous. It is uh, what? Where do you stop? 
where do we lose humanity? Where do we lose... How many martinis should we drink? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of intangibles that we may not even be aware of that mm-hmm. we could be messing so with. So going back to CRISPR and the gene... And, you know, you were talking about, like, gene editing and you know, things that can be useful. And uh, you know, one of the questions on that one is, like, the ethics problem. I'm not sure if any of you guys are aware of China. Basically yeah, the two kids. Human-animal chimeras through CRISPR to grow human organs in. But the about interesting thing about that is we're also talking about um, Library of Alexandria as well, and lost, you know, ancient knowledge of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure people have heard of things, you know, things like, you know, Legend of the Minotaur and uh, other ancient chimeras. And then we now have, uh, yeah, and then we now have CRISPR um, creating human-animal hybrid for medical purposes. But then as you say, you know, the existence of DARPA and they love to weaponize technology. You know, what, what if, uh, I think of the Egyptians and their deities. Yeah, yeah, the Egyptians as well. Though, yeah, actually, that that that's 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 an interesting point because um, the Egyptian deities were human bodies, animal heads. The, the, yep, hybrids. Um, yeah, and the Greek Minotaur, although the the legend, the Greek legends is um, a little bit after the the Egyptian deity, and yeah, that's obviously a human body with. Uh, an animal head, goat legs as well. It's a similar thing between the Egyptian gods and the Minotaur. Well, it is an interesting, uh, I don't know, you know, you want to call it a coincidence or, you know, it's like the, the coordinate system of the Great Pyramids. If you look at the coordinate on Earth, you know, a coordinate system on Earth, the Great Pyramids location matches the speed of light, uh, which is an interesting coincidence, if you want to call it a coincidence. They also are arranged to mirror Orion's Belt. There's a lot of different little funky connections to. Bavall do a lot of that research. Robert Bavall, the ar- uh, archaeologist. I, yeah. I can't remember this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, that, see, yeah. that speed was yeah. in meters yeah. per second. Yeah. Though. The thing I like to remember about measurements, things matching, like the coordinates matching where the <laughs> speed. The longitude and latitude are exactly the same as the coordinates in the sky for Orion's belt. I know the uh, the positioning of them is the same as Orion's, and the whole they found other ruins by just going to places where the other stars in Orion would be, and wow, lo and behold, there were ruins exactly where the other stars were in the thing. This connects to the energy highway that's been around Earth for a long-ass time, but because we use coal and uranium, we are unfamiliar without actually how to use the energy highways that are all on the coordinates of South America, Canada, yeah, ley lines. Also, Middle East, etc. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's very, very cool. The speed of light thing that you mentioned, though, they would have to have been able to travel into the future, which, you know, who knows, maybe that's possible, because I believe in the article I read that was in meters per second. Meters did not exist yeah. at that time. But it is a really weird coincidence because it's exact. It would explain why they seem young whenever they travel through. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting thing. The other thing about pyramids that I often found kind of fascinating was pyramids kind of just popped up all over the world at the same time. They were building pyramids in the Amazon before they were built, you know, or at the same time they were building the pyramids in Egypt, and there was no way those people could have crossed oceans or communicated that we know of. What's interesting is that 
I guess it's, you know, geometry and mathematics. Maybe this, this tends to be a structure that they wanted to build. It's like a massive observance almost when you think it's about it. Interesting that they pop up. And of course, you know, there's the Nazca lines in, in South America as well, which is like, you know, you can only see this from, from a high altitude and there's no high points around. <laughs> so, and it, you know, they found cocaine in a Egyptian mummy. So somehow they were getting stuff from South America way back then. The good uh, shit. Does it grow anywhere else except about a thousand feet in the Andes? So, so they had Coca Cola back then too. Oh yeah, exactly. I was thinking of an example you made back, Chris. I think you were talking about the processing of the mind, like almost like the mechanism and how there seems to be like an AI component to it. I was thinking about in terms of the human uh, mind, like for meditation that you were talking about briefly for a moment, Tim, like I was doing this meditation thing where I was just counting breaths and I was doing this for like about two hours today. And it's like, so I'm counting, I'm counting. I kind of call it deep sea diving. So I'm doing this counting process and all this stuff starts happening on my mind. I start thinking about all these thoughts and whatever. I came back a couple hours later and I found my mind was still counting. Like I was at like 2200, like in the 2300 range. And I, and I think to myself, this is kind of strange. You know, I was meditating hours before I'd been walking, you know, and, and doing all this, but I, the mechanistic side of my mind was still going even hours after. So, well, that kind of relates to something I mentioned on a post about hypnosis and why can we be hypnotized so easily? Our reality completely wiped out at least for a while. And I think it's kind of like an open invitation door. This is how you do it. And auto, you know, self-suggestion, trust, uh, meditative states, you know, whatever, that whole thing, it's it's there for a reason. And uh, maybe it's a survival mechanism have, having to do with evolution, you know, take all the young boys into the cave, deep dark cave, and indoctrinate them to all the wonders of the universe they'll never forget it fear makes you remember things so that's how they do it and you know well that comes back to the pain thing you know like the negative positive reinforcement because the neuron paths get burned get ruptured the vectors between them get singed you know in some situations where there's a negative reinforcement thing and i think that's memory visceral visceral feelings come from that some feelings are topical, some are mid- middle of the road, but I some like are visceral, visceral yeah. in the gut. And I think those come from those early experiences, just like you're talking about. Something happens with those nerves, and it's just sure. right in there, man. It's like our yeah. organs, our brains. We don't just have, I mean, we have an entire system of perception, like our heart as opposed to our liver. That's why I was talking about seeing the inside, because nobody ever wants to see their liver, right? But that's just as valid about attaining self-knowledge. Like, there's a couple of things about that one in a sense of traumatic experiences, fear, encoding information. Those types of things get hardwired or you know, become part of your firmware. And it's a natural reaction to your, the way your brain works in a sense of kind of like the social, you know, people that are afraid of snakes or you know, when you touch a hot stove, those types of pathways become more autonomous to allow the species to survive. And I think that, you know, yes, a lot of people have understood for quite a while that you can use those types of tools to program people. 
a certain way, and that's that's true. As far as the nervous system, the biggest concentration of neurons outside of your brain is in your gut. Your gut is a sympathetic nervous system that also processes information. People say you have a gut feel, uh, and that, that's the real thing. I would think that... Yeah, the hands and the feet have a huge amount of neural connections, too. Absolutely. Well, every neuron is capable of processing information, and... Each neuron is capable of processing just tons and tons and tons of information on its own. Just forget about the interconnectedness and how many neurons are in your body. If once you exponentially increase the connected the connections versus the number of neurons in your body, people are phenomenal processing machines, you know, in a sense of if you want to look at it in a mechanistic standpoint or you know, a computer model standpoint. We don't have anything near what you know, a computer or a piece of technology that's capable of that. We're, you know, light years away from it, it seems. But at the same time, we seem to have limited processing speeds and we tend to, um, mm-hmm. like, get dogmatic about things and, you know, we're influenced by all, all kinds of things that, that blind us or, or deafen us to reality reality is is reality no matter what form it takes i said that on a post earlier i think that it doesn't matter if, if it's a hologram or if it's a two-dimensional or three-dimensional our experience of it is still our experience of it you know so reality is what it is uh, <laughs> we're in it and of it and you know i think being connected to it it's, it's one of those things that we just don't see because it's it's so ubiquitous. It's like we get stuck in our presets, in a way. We're we're blind, I think, for a reason. I mean, we're we're here. Just it's I call it the blender, uh, and it's it's just raw experience. Whatever use that is, or whatever benefits it has, I think it's the only way that you can really learn. You can't tell anybody anything. They've got to learn it for themselves. And if you're talking about eternity, then yeah, we got plenty of time. We could be living 12 lives at once. You know, who the hell knows? That's uh, true. But, but learning, learning, growing, that's it. That's the only thing I can think of. If there's no purpose and it's all meaningless, then that's too much to bear. Well, I think that, you know, the universe has incarnated you as a point of view. Oh, so yeah, single point. the universe is self-experiencing self in that sense. You know, it's, it's every individual is a point of view, if you think of it that way. It's the universe experiencing itself. Facets uh, of the universal jewel. Right. And it's not only limited to humans, it's animals and plants and rocks and other planets and stars. And you can expand that infinitely. But, you know, it's kind well, they're of... they're saying matter is conscious now. That matter has a consciousness. That's yeah. the latest, just within the last think about, month. Yeah, think about this. I mean, in the sense of the quantum world, we talked about the, the quantum fluctuations that impact other things. Every subatomic particle impacts another subatomic particle outside of entanglement. Entanglement's its own thing, but that's a, a, another aspect of the universe. But if you think about the interconnectedness of, of, the, of the quantum world, of all that is, that's a massive neural network. So the entire universe, it's very likely it's conscious and aware. It, you know, it's kind of odd to think of the rock as being aware, uh, but as a, as part of a whole, it is. Sir, there's another data point, and this is maybe a weird one, but uh, if you read on out-of-body experiences, a lot of them describe the first level out of this one is a kind of a ghostly 
uh, recreation or duplicate of actual physical reality. So if it exists outside of our physical realm and has some kind of spiritual or metaphysical component behind the scenes, what does that imply? It kind of, that's what comes to mind when I think of them saying even matter is conscious. So it, it's, it is, you know, as above, so below. It's there as well. So, you know, I don't know. Of course, you go back to that question of what is consciousness. I mean, in the sense of, it's all energy. You know, it's energy. I mean, and everything is energy. It's just in a slower vibrational state when it becomes matter. You know, matter can be converted to energy, energy converted to matter. That's the theory of relativity there, and it equals mc squared. That whole thing <laughs> takes on a religious tone when you, when you, when you think about well, no, it. No, I mean, if you think about it, modern science is talking about electromagnetic energy all the time, and you have like, you know, you have electromagnetic fields and electromagnetic fluctuations and Lots of, you know, as um, a lot of people would put it, there's a lot of weird shit that can happen with electromagnetism. And a lot of, I guess, academic minds on the subject think of the soul more as an electromagnetic phenomena than, um, than a, a religious aspect. Right, it can be couched in terms of, of the four fundamental forces of the universe. People ask me all the time, I mean, I... I follow a Christian tradition, but at the same time, I've, I also practice Buddhism, and I'm quite aware of, I've researched a lot of different world religions throughout my life, and I've experienced a lot of them personally, so it's interesting to look at, you know, and I look at science as just another tool that we use to describe our reality, but if you think of what is God, God is the fundamental forces of the universe, it, it is creation, it is the totality of all it is. I think we've talked about superconsciousness before, and there's that, uh, is the universe aware? If the universe is a superconsciousness and we are connected in part of the universe, I mean, sure, you know, <laughs> there, there, you know, there is in that I sense. Think religion is a historical record of, uh, the evidence of man trying to usurp that truth and voice it as himself. To justify atrocities of the most incredible kind. Religions serve a couple of different purposes, and one of them is social molding or social forming. You know, it's it's kind of a, a law and order replaced religious or theocracy in the sense of our secular society has kind of usurped the theocratic societies to a large part. They still exist, but it seems to be... The slide is towards secularism versus uh, theocratic type of control of society, but they're both focused on keeping society in a box. And mm -hmm. I think that that's necessary to some degree. I mean, you don't want people just running about doing whatever they want. You'll have people that are aberrant, you know, in a sense that there's murderers and rapists and, you know, so that thieves, you know. So I think that, you know, law and order to a degree makes sense. Civilization can't necessarily exist without some type of rules, but at the same time, I think we often overdo our rules and our regulations. You know, I was always of the idea, though, that if if things were provided and that people were able to provide and to contribute in the way that they would, you would not have those types of things. I think it's a product of rulership that forces these types of 
inhumanities on people to do these types of things. It's uh, it's like to suggest that the person that's robbing the store, you know, isn't in the survival mode. Well, that person, everybody wants to argue whether, oh, it's not justifiable by any means, but they're not in that position. So they don't understand the fight. Yeah, I have to agree with what you're saying there. Um, there is a lot of um, sociological evidence to support that. Um, yeah, when the means are provided that um, the tendency is for violent crimes and you know, antisocial behaviors has dropped dramatically. Mm. I would agree. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you think that that's a failing of society in the sense of it, let's just make a law and make it illegal and punish everybody that breaks it is short-sighted. I, if you don't address the underlying causes, like you're saying, I think that basic needs in the sense of housing, food security, uh, health care, education, the ability to travel, those are some of the basics. If those are just a ubiquitous thing that everybody has access to, no questions asked, then a lot of the cause of a lot of the crime that we see, probably 90 plus percent of it goes away. There's still going to be people, though. I mean, you know, I forget what the percentage of, of society is a psychopath. Psychopathy and sociopathic behavior, and there are mental defects. People that, that, you know, have compulsory behaviors. We talk about pedophiles a lot, and I think that's a very aberrant behavior. It's a compulsion to the person, but society doesn't tolerate that at all. Though it was so, justifiable in all the religions in the past. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, in the sense So of that's the usurpation at, uh, I was speaking about. Well, I mean, the Roman society, it was full of it. It was normal. I would argue and say our society is full of it. I mean, isn't Certainly. the Epstein shit floating back around now? Well, exactly. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of the underside of our society mimics Roman imperialists. <laughs> mimics the, the Roman society. Oh, I have to say, actually, uh, Roman society was full of it at the peak of Roman society, the peak of the empire. Not so common, you know, not so widespread, I guess, or so spoken of, at least, um, in the earlier parts of the empire. And this, the same the same theme is actually true for other empires. You know, it tends to be towards the peak of the empire, you have this kind of rampant decadent. I can't remember the name of the guy, but there was someone who did uh, kind of a lecture Empires develop, grow, and fall. Have different ages of empires. One of them is the age of decadence, where you end up with widespread poverty on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have widespread revelry by the the people who are in control, the elites, as such, and rampant paedophilia. You know these other sorts of um, social abhorrences, as such. This tends to be towards the, the downfall of the empire. Yeah, it becomes so despotic that, that, that they just you know, fall apart, you know, from rot. I mean, it's, it is true because ultimately broader society doesn't tolerate that level of decadence, particularly when it's in a specific class. You know, classism in and of itself lends back towards the, if you had a, a standard of the basics for everybody provided, we do away with a lot of the reason that a lot of crime exists. And, you know, I think that there's really a small lit, a set of limits that you need to put on society civilly. But law and order is also, just like religion, is used to build structures where people, certain people gain and, and you gain the system. And we see that all the time with, with the corporate lobby and the military industrial complex or the prison industrial complex. This, the game is rigged, you know. <laughs> Bottom line is it's, it's good if the government controls it. 
But it's terrible if they don't. Look at China. They get rid of all spirituality. Spirituality is an extremely potent force. Uh, they were a big funder of it in the 70s, man. I mean, that's when things like remote viewing and psychic sensing were, were starting to peak. Uh, not to say that it didn't well, maybe, occur maybe, previous. Maybe, but maybe scientifically, but not for the masses. But what I mean is they, they allowed it because they saw this new thing, kind of like in Russia. Same thing happened in Russia. Uh, Russia and China had far more progressive notions towards uh, psychic capability than any other country in the world because they researched it. But of course, yeah, the Chinese government became very paranoid. Like in the 70s, 78, like that was the year I was born anyway, but they, they started researching some kid that was able to uh, to pick up on things, you know, like psychic sea and, and they studied all this stuff. But then all of a sudden these groups started to form to practice things like uh, Qigong and Tai Chi and whatnot. And once they all started expressing th this desire to like master these types of things, all of a sudden the government stepped in and started bringing in the wide sweeping uh, regulation. I mean, there's this problem with the Falun Gong people in China. They're the organizing concentration camps. The for government these guys, has to be you know. the source of all right. goodness and everything. Sure, else. sure. They you, you, have got, you have to have a license through them, and they, they'll kill your ass if you're like oh, if yeah. you counter this. Uh, I always. Get it, the, CCP. The China, CCP, yeah, I always get yeah, that. I always I get confused with PCP. I work with a Chinese nationalist. Uh, she, uh, she's been in country for six years, but she grew mm -hmm. up there, married a serviceman, was in China or in Japan for a couple of years, and she, uh, she works with it for the company I work for, but, uh, she tells it all straight and, and it's, they just crush that stuff. They're calling these people evil cultists just because oh, yeah, they, yes, they, yeah. just because they have, uh, benevolence, that's, that's perseverance, courage. Right. And the thing was, is the guy that ran falling, I'm not saying that I like have any like affinity with the belief system, but I think it's amazing that they, they have their own sort of concentration, uh, camps being arranged. It's, it, and it's just like with Tibet, what China did to uh tibet and they don't even people don't realize how the dalai lama even was instrumental in the shutting down of of free thought when it comes to spirituality because there are a lot of incidents that have happened and they're not in the media that they, they don't know about the shugden incident or any of that haven't so. they been hiding the dalai lama kid for like i don't even think he's the dalai lama dude i really yeah. don't and i, and I know yeah. that's a crazy thought to have but this dude comes out and all of a sudden he starts acting like the pope and says oh i've just decided that this particular deity that we have been worshiping for thousands of years is some kind of tree demon. I mean, that's insane. That's like all of a sudden the Pope coming out and saying that, oh, yeah, 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 we've been doing these practices, but we just found out that Satan was behind this shit. I mean, you know what I mean? That's what that's what the Dalai Lama did. And everybody's he's still quoting him, you know, acting like he's like, all he can do no wrong. But it's it's like he's turned into like, I don't know, I, I, I call him the, the laser-eyed Dali. And you can't speak on that shit, you know, because it's 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 outside. Hey, of the, the Chinese will actually come into other countries to get you, or they'll they'll take <laughs> your parents or your relatives in mm -hmm. country and put the hurt on them. And you go into those temples, they got friggin' snipers on the roof, man. I mean, it's insane out there. You wouldn't want to uh, be up in the Himalayas, you know. Um, or how about being Muslim and being uh, forced to eat bacon and drink whiskey? <laughs> Which they're doing to millions of them. The thing with China is, is they are the the particular party in power is is forcing the population in order to be economically viable or to be able to be a 
person, really. You have to use certain tools and you have to do certain things. We all have to have a cell phone or a smartphone nowadays. Not everybody, you know, not here. We don't have to, but, you know, there pretty much. I think that, you know, the, you get these self-enforcing structures that they're building to contain and control people. China, interestingly enough, if you if you look at Chinese history much, they're, they'll go for a thousand years and as soon as life turns bad, you know, and this is kind of true of anywhere on the planet, once people can't feed themselves or their family, they typically turn on their government. That That's usually a cause of revolution. Chinese dynasties have turned over a number of times because of it, where the people just like, all right, you, get, you can't take care of us. We're going to take care of the situation and put in somebody new that can. The thought of, is that you still have to have some type of ruler uh, mm -hmm. have repeated over and over and over and over again. I think that society needs some minimal forms of rules to, to interact with you know, the, each other and, and to kind of keep some bounds on society. But Yeah, but China I, needs I, a scapegoat right now. Yeah, they do. That's the only thing they can do. If they if the masses start looking at them and saying it's their fault, then game over. They've got to say, no, look. Look what they're doing to us. Oh, yeah, I no, think you see it as a population domination yeah, the problem. Yeah, and the U.S. is really bad about that, too, in the sense of, you know, we, we creep boogeymen all over the place to, to kind of make people fall in line or to well, do We safety. did it to the Native Americans just like the Australians did it to the Aborigines. Yeah, well, everybody is conquered. Yeah. Oh, like, uh, again, you would hope that our species would evolve past this need to control and, and dominate. We're, we're just out of the cave, though, man. We just are out of the cave. We've got this technology, but we haven't had the 20,000 years to get the wisdom either. So well, I agree. I mean, and then, you know, I think that, you know, the great filter approaches, <laughs> you know, and if anybody's familiar with that theory, why don't we see too many advanced civilizations nearby, or why haven't we heard from them? It's because... Yeah, Drake's equation because they evolve to a certain point and then cause their own extinction. And which the yeah. indigenous cultures wouldn't have done. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, they just know, wouldn't have had cell phones. Our technology surpasses our our wisdom, you know, <laughs> so to speak. You know, in a sense, right. so tool is can be used for good purposes, bad purposes. The tool doesn't care, but it's all in the intent. And unfortunately, I agree, Chris. That you know, we're we're not necessarily so evolved to, to still in our infancy yeah to be able to grasp the what benefits us all benefits the individual as well not a lot of people think that way right and there's the counter to that too have you ever noticed that when everything is right in your mind the world is beautiful everything is fine what if everybody could do that you know and of course that's theoretical people are not in the certain circumstances that allow them perhaps the luxury of thought and idleness. And, I think people uh, write so that off as a disease, you know. That's the sad thing. Yeah, but it is, you know, most of our problems are issues of the mind and perception. It's not the physical reality. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. Yep. Neurosis and psychosis. Absolutely. One of the things that, and this is probably going to sound corny and I don't care, one of the things I discovered that needs to be found is love like i mean it's kind of what it boils down to what people are searching for 
is unconditional love. If they found that, we wouldn't nearly be where we are. That's why we have to grow. And I guess this comes back to what we were saying, you know, with spirituality and, and science. We have to grow from the inside as well, like individually with the technology. Otherwise, we will destroy ourselves. There is no other way. Yeah, crossing my fingers. Yeah, I know, you know, the, the people in charge don't seem to be uh, aware of that <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and it's, it's just scary. It's kind of scary. But well, we're here agree. for like a, just a, a flicker, man. And to, to, to invest so much in control of beings, it just doesn't sound like it makes much sense. And they didn't really no. think about it too hard, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, we've almost. I mean, we've put the environment in such stress in just 150 years. The rest of humanity, forget about the rest of humanity for a moment, just in the past 150 years, you know, the industrial age, rise of the industrial age, and the advent of our tool making mechanized, and we're taking quantum leaps in the way that we can invent technology, and the absolute explosion of the population and exploitation of resources is going to... That is just as dangerous as a nuclear holocaust, really. It'll take care of itself, most likely, in some form. Well, or you know, I can say the planet will still be here. We just won't be here. You know? <laughs> Nature will yeah. fix it in a million years or two. You know, so. Pestilence, famine, war, you know, hopefully, I don't know. None of them are a good choice, obviously, but uh, algal bloom is what Mutate I Mutate and adapt or perish. Well, I mean, we have to, we have to learn how to live in our imbalance in our biome or we will cease to exist i mean that that's all there is to that we could always do what uh, that short story on the the forum uh, was about and just go and get a bunch of new property new planets then we can just keep on keep on screwing i think that's elon musk's uh, agenda he wants to get the hell off the planet <laughs> oh no, yeah and it's it's we definitely need a second base because uh, of everything we've been mentioning be nice to have a continuity of species, at least some guarantee. And, you know, that's another topic, parallel civilizations. That could be going on right now. And it could have split apart 20,000 years ago, quarter million years ago. Who knows? Uh, but that's a different topic. Not theoretically on that, that document. That's why that document is, it's, it kind of encompasses quite a few things with dimensions and stuff like that if it were to be true what was put out it would give credibility to a lot of things such as manifestation extra dimensions parallel whatever because it's a hologram universe so i mean it could be whatever have you guys ever heard of that guy that was from like the 13th century that found himself just all of a sudden in the middle of a road with a car coming towards him in uh, yes england and he, yeah. he hung out, he actually went back to his place, and it was all broken down in the woods, his old uh, mill or whatever. And he lived for a while, and he ended up just dying from despair. But uh, that type of stuff, documented, proven, basically. Then you take the reincarnation stuff from India, and then that weird story about the green kids appearing in the village in Europe. You heard about those? I, you're the only other person that I have heard that knows about those green kids. I brought yeah. it up and no one's heard of them. Yeah, something's I, going on. One of them actually had kids and married and stuff. The, the guy, the boy died, but the, the girl was actually in genealogies. And so it definitely, uh, she existed. So how and where do these inexplicable things happen? 
It's I think there's even a psalm or something like that that says, I will confound you at every turn. And that's kind of how I see it, you know, right now. Because we have so many descriptions and semi-answers, but nothing really fits the bill. I think also when we approach these epochs of the pressure that's put on the you know population of the world and things that are happening, these are also kind of gating factors. You're given a choice, evolve or die. <laughs> you know, so I think that that is kind of where we're fast approaching. Or get absorbed like the Neanderthals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and AI and, and cybernetics and all that type of jazz has a, a very good potential of, of doing that, which may harden our genetics and our tool use to be able to survive an environment. Maybe that's the way, you know, whether it's you perceive it as good or bad, enhanced thought, you know, would be an interesting thing in the sense of, you know, kind of approach that is like, well, are you the AI or is the AI you or is it some type of merged consciousness once an AI reaches that point of, of being able to pass the Turing test easily? You have to question that. <laughs> and how does it stack up the human intuition? Right. Well, you know, you make, you know, I've often wondered it can learn proper responses given any set of circumstances, does that mean it actually experiences emotions or under intuits them or understands them? It's kind of all in the code. Did you uh, see that video with Tony Robbins? Uh, he was interviewing that android cyborg chick. It was kind of spooky because, in my opinion, Tony Robbins looked like the, looked like the android, the AI. <laughs> Because I was watching him like making these expressions, and I'm thinking, this is so contrived. It's almost like they filmed him talking and asking the questions ahead of the AI even answering. I mean, I just I look at these types of things, and I just it was very strange because he's doing this like where they pan the the video to him, and he's doing this like just this really I don't know fake like expression, like he's being responsive to the android as if he's listening to it, responding to him, but. He almost looked robotic. And I think that's one way of confounding an AI at the moment in the sense of, you know, visualization systems, you know, facial recognition systems, if you want to call it. But visualization systems, you know, it, it, robotics is using uh, cameras, you know, and comparing right. facial expressions to, to interpret emotion. And if you have a blank stare on your face or expressing anger or, or love or fear, it, confuses AI at the moment. So it's yeah, not you can't have a standardized model. That's the issue is people think that uh, the appearance of emotion isn't mechanistic or that the, the human uh, to say that we're so human is is even a is even a mistake. I mean, when you have a robot fritz out, it doesn't understand how to process it would probably uh it, it might short circuit. It might have like specific, I guess, uh, firings of its of its circuitry and, and screw. But how is that different than laughing? How is that really different than crying? I mean, when a human being cries or laughs, I mean, you can laugh at something that makes you sad. You can cry about something that makes you happy. You can cry about something that makes you sad. We have our own short circuits that really aren't very human at all. If you think about it, it's just all about overload. Of energy and different right. energy. Yeah, I, I so agree. We really are robots, man. Uh, uh, yeah, remember the uh, the stuff about inference and how everything is inference and all that. Well, that's a big part of AI. It's it's an inference, inference imitation, engine, and it some yeah. input with the data it has. New input creates 
uh, an opportunity to deduce new data, but there'll be mistakes, most likely, just like humans do. Oh, yeah. So, the, exactly. so it's, a, it's all about inference for them, and, and there is no true AI, I don't think, right now. I think Not so. yet. No. Humans are, are operate this way, too. I mean, if, if something is completely outside of our experience, never heard of it, never seen it, never experienced it whatsoever, we have no way to understand it. it it's Except only, relating it to stuff we already know. Yeah, we only ex view the world or experience the world or, or can understand the world through the lens of our own experiences. If something's outside of our experience altogether, we can't understand it. And I think that there may be some, and we do infer, you know, that, that's for sure. I mean, inference is a powerful tool in that sense that we can use the compound of our, of our lived experiences to infer other things. And I think that for, for sure, that's what we're doing with AI at the moment and machine learning is, is it, it, it's an inference engine. I mean, a similar problem exists with being able to see neurotypical uh, people as opposed to neurodivergent. Uh, everything's uh, chalked up right now to a pre-existing condition, you know, like it's all diseased or something just because, well, like with autistic people, um, I happen to be autistic, emotions are an internalized thing. So when you see somebody that isn't making expressions, there's the assumption from the neurotypical side that that person is cold, that person is aloof. The understanding does not exist because the frame of reference is not achievable by the person that is doing the observing. So if a person sees somebody that doesn't have a facial expression, they go, well, I can't read that person. Well, if that person had empathy, they would be able to. They'd be able to feel that. So you have this huge gap because everybody has these assumed standardized models for interpreting the way human actually being human actually functions but th there's internal out and then there's external in and most neurotypical people are completely responsive to extraneous information and then being react reacting on the inside like the same phenomenon when uh somebody finishes playing a song and everybody starts clapping well who's the first person that starts clapping and who are the people that are imitating that you need to know that because there is a huge difference between somebody that follows and a person that leads with action but think of the power uh, that the AI has at hand. Hey, I'm looking at this person, and he has no facial. Let me look. Look at his medical records. Oh, he has autism. Okay, I understand. Maybe I should go introduce myself and see how he's doing. Right. So it is endless what they can do, but it all the data has to be there. Or it uh, could read the internal nervous system, and it would already know how to interpret that person's emotion. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so On-hand diagnostic. Star Trek. Right. Okay. What yeah. is she saying before, though, about how you can smile without smiling and the yeah, computer that, was able to pick it up? Man, I could go around that. That's so, to me, that I, I feel like there's certain things that when you like dissect the most obvious factors in, I don't even like calling it expression because it's always assuming expression is like, to me, backwards. I think it's impression. When you're influenced on the, uh, well, everything is always considered outwards in, but my, but what, what you're saying with that is, so when a person smiles, everybody thinks that it's like something happens and the person gets happy and then they, and they, and they make the, the muscular expression. But what's actually happening is the nervous system is triggering specific neurons and specific synaptic bridges to occur that causes that, like, just like when somebody's laughing or anything else. So that is triggered. That can be triggered completely independently 
of the facial structure. But and if people the AI don't read that, the AI would of course be able to if it had a biofeedback interlink. I guess the word would be interlink because it can you can emote using biofeedback even with just a brain computer interface. So that would basically mean that all these emotes were using this two-dimensional way, you know, and then going into GIF land and using all of our favorite celebrities. What you would be doing instead with biofeedback or brain-mind interface is that you would smile and that your avatar would smile because it would be able to pick up the, like your neurons that are registering in your cheek going all the way up to the different parts of the brain and, and it would be able to make that expression. So it, yeah, it would be able to read quite easily, and you would be able to read <laughs> other people, of course, because you would have that kind of synergy. There's so a you would thing. see if they were authentic, oh, right? But it, it's this masking thing that's really the only obstacle. It, it, human beings are so suspicious that, to me, is the obstacle. It, it, it's like I've learned this so much from an autistic perspective. If you go out into culture and you have this way of doing things that is completely different than everybody else. They're suspicious. It's masking. It's not all about what you wear. It's also about how you look, how you look at things, how you stare. I mean, like I've done the sunglasses thing. I've tried to do the thing without the sunglasses. You know, I don't move. So I'll be like fixating on a point, right? And people, they get that. They get that laser thing and they assume something's wrong. They assume somebody's got a bad vibe. They assume something bad's going to happen. People do this shit because they don't understand bio-signaling. We have biological signaling occurring all the time, but a human being has weak biological signaling. Therefore, most cases, <laughs> the rays never really hit anything. But you increase those parameters, total game changer. Everything is different. So there's these things called, I think, called eigenstates in the mind. And uh, that's what they're looking at when they say that your mind made a, made the decision for you 12 seconds before you consciously made that decision. Your mind right, but actually a lot of that is the delay between the human nervous system and the muscular system that gets engaged. So it's kind of no, like... Is, this is a decision. This is a mental decision. Should I go to the beach today? Your mind was thinking about it. It made that decision and served it up to you, and you consciously thought you did it. It's anywhere from 2 to 12 right. seconds before. So that... Brings up the whole idea of predetermination and all that weird stuff. But those eigenstates are also what are used to trigger, I believe, orthopedic, robotic uh, arms and legs and so forth. They can, they can sense those eigenstates, that potential of action. And they don't need the actual nerve impulse and they can, they can read it and they can make the movement. So those eigenstates are really a, to me, a, something that is rightfully focused upon because it's the fundamental neuronal neuronal stimulus of all that stuff and not not too many people know about it um, yeah i'm not sure if something would really precede um the neurons actually firing themselves other than the actual i guess it's I guess what I'm saying is that if you like a person that decides to go somewhere that's a tricky slope man because the way i think of it is if you go somewhere, you decide to go somewhere, you really think about it only and then just decide to do it. I mean, like, and most people that I've met have sort of like a pretty chaotic mind. So they probably considered it and they forgot that they considered it. So there's really a whole lot of different possibilities here of how the mind is, is initiating or calling off shots. Because I could have been thinking yesterday, for example, about wanting to go to the park. 
but like all of a sudden here comes the next day and I'm going to go to the park. Well, that would technically imply that I had mapped it out, but I had actually forgotten it and that executed the command. So it's just, it's, it's tricky trying to connect what's going on at the neural system with our decision-making progress. I think it's a little, it's, well, it's a, the same thing as that automatic that you bring. I guess what I'm work. saying is I don't think it's necessarily evidence against free will and that we're like running a script. I think sometimes it's taken a bit too far to suggest that. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Thing. I, I totally we, agree with you. I totally yeah, agree yeah. with that. You know, no yeah, I mean, and I think, I think it's more likely to be a simple version of letting your brain do the work when you're thinking about something else. Right. Why do we see a difference between us and the brain? I mean, why is there this constant like separation between brain and person? I mean, it's like the separation of church and state. You know, why do we have a separation between the autonomy of our minds, our brain and our bodies? It's a trinity. I mean, they should be integrated. So when we see one seemingly operate out of, uh, out of sync to, to think that it's, that it was, um, I don't know that it wasn't us all of a sudden and it sort of motivate it made us do something is in a way kind of silly because we don't really see why we make decisions. I don't think yeah. a person understands, you know, they might want to go get that hamburger, but maybe they saw a commercial. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, there's so yeah, many. The, the body is the infrastructure. The brain is the <laughs> CPU, the hardware, and the mind is all the electrons flying through and the circuits and the wave fronts and you know, we have various competing circuits in our mind and the dominant one controls. Yeah, and, and our memory uh, is such a big thing that we don't practice. So people don't even remember what they were thinking about before they make the decision. And then they yep. think they've done it for the first time. But it's like, wait, no, you were kind of obsessing over this idea for a while and you imprinted it into your mind. So now it's recycling and it's putting itself ahead of you. So you think you're making that decision now, but actually your mind has been broading on the problem, rooting on the problem all the time. Hey, how do you drive for 20 minutes down the highway and realize you just drive 20 minutes and you don't remember any of it? It's like, it's like your mind goes into a feedback loop based on the, um, the frequency of how many times you do it. That would be, I mean, Something I'm not like saying that. I have the answer. It's like the same reason for why you would walk. Like, cause I walk everywhere. I can get into a, a zone where I feel like I've only walked for 10 minutes, but I'm like yep. walking for an hour. But to me, that's a memory feedback loop. The, the, the body takes over, the robot takes over because it knows every yeah. caveat of the experience. Yeah. But once you do that, and you start to pay attention to every little thing that's happening on that walk or in between that expedition or when you're driving. If you start like reading the signs, you all of a sudden notice, holy shit, this is, this is taking longer because you're breaking, you know, from that, uh, robotic mode of automation. Well, that, and that's kind of why they say the time dilates when you get stoned. It's because you're taking in more input. You're cramming more into that same period of time. So time seems to be dilated, you know. Yeah, the pupils, I mean, they connect the animal instincts, uh, more aggressive behavior to a dilation of the pupils. They'll actually say that the, that the, what is it, the feed and breed process of the parasympathetic system is actually linked to pupil constriction. So that when you see somebody with completely constricted pupils, they could actually be in a state of like really strong relaxation or intense pleasure. Um, a lot of people associate the dilation of the pupils with those types of things when it's actually the reverse i've read anyway mine have been very large <laughs> right like i don't know i don't look at my eyes when i'm talking i mean i wish i could but <laughs> like i've been told they just start like kind of i don't know opening and closing <laughs> me 
maybe that's why people think I'm weird when they're talking to me because my eyes just go. <laughs> they're actually a visible part of the brain. That's the way I think about. It. That's very interesting. Yeah, because there are sensory organs attached directly to it, closest ones, short mm-hmm. travel distance, fast speed, and it actually is, in a weird way, an extension of it's. It's part of the brain you can see. You know, there actually, I think there really is something to that because I have really fucking weird eyes. Like, wh- if I'm wearing those sunglasses with the coating on it, you know, for the the black coating, what do you call that for for the UV stuff? It's not exactly polarized, but it's like that black coating they put over. I actually like see the veins inside my eyelids and almost like going back. I almost feel like I'm seeing like a some kind of a photonic flash, you know, going back into my brain. And I'm like seeing all these weird veins all over while I'm looking around and they're refracting off the glasses. So it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm looking at my brain almost indirectly. I do that all the time. And it's a question I had for my daughters about two weeks ago. Do you look around your mind with your eyeballs? Like I, yeah. do, you, do you get sparks when you turn your eyeballs too? Like if you're like in the dark, you like, if you look right or left, and wait a while and then turn left or right like you get these little sparks. It's really trippy, man. Uh, those are called phosphenes, I think. Yeah, I've I've heard that particular thing. I think it's the neuron interaction. I mean, I, I I know I mean phosphenes allegedly are transmitted through the whole body, actually. That's what I something I, I know if you close your eyes real tight and stuff like that, you get them to show up. Oh, they're everywhere, man, but yeah. But they chalk all this stuff up to macular degeneration, just like when people hear frequencies, they'll be like, oh, you got tinnitus. But uh, who is to really say, I mean, Nikola Tesla allegedly could hear like way above the decibel range. There's people that could, there's people that can hear frequencies and there's always sort of this, I don't know, um, hey, way of. There, there, are, there are some strange stuff. Uh, my mother knew a doctor in LA way back when, and there was a motorcycle gang leader that uh, got wrecked on the highway or whatever, and they did an autopsy, and they looked at his brain. There were no ridges and valleys. It was perfectly smooth. Like a concave, like a cave with a smooth surface, no crenellations <laughs> or anything like that. Total oh. mutation. They It freaked them out. But he obviously got along just fine. You can't be a leader of a gang and not... He found this after he was gone, after he was dead. After he was dead. Imagine what they could have learned from the brain that was ticking. That's so interesting. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of weird stuff. Like, what was really happening? (laughs) Well, guys, I think we're probably going to shut it off there. And that was a fantastic conversation. I mean, we went through quite a bit of stuff there. I am going to say goodnight to you boys. Thank you for showing up. Good night to the listeners. You can find me on Instagram at Balance Brain Podcast. You can find me at Twitter at Balance underscore Brain. 